0: Welcome to the Rent to Retirement podcast, your resource for passive real estate investing and retirement strategies. If you're new to real estate or planning your financial future, you're in the right place. Join us at renttoretirement.com to find your path to financial freedom and an easy carefree retirement. Enjoy the show.
1: Hey, Rent to Retires, Thank you so much for joining us for this episode today. I am once again joined by Zach Lemaster. Zach, how are you doing this morning? It's morning, Adam. Uh, as I was, we were talking before we started recording, we have
0: a, a young kiddo at home, and this is our first. And so it's all new, fun, and exciting and exhausting. And we're just catching up on sleep. So glad to be here, though.
1: It gets better. And uh, there's some really good news out there for press uh, investors. So it'll get better even there. But I wanted to get started today. I was telling you before we got started, there was an article that made its way around the social media world that. I have a lot of we'll call them hippie-ish friends I don't know about you who are very big proponents of all progressive agendas. and some of them are very much in the I would I would classify them almost as the uh, what is that cancel rent culture. Um, some of them are. And so I saw this article, even my wife who doesn't have as many progressive friends as I do, she she saw it and commented she heard about it on some through some other avenues. And it was uh, in general, this one, the Massachusetts landlord gives rental tenant $3,400. Now this was from an Australian news site. So it was 3400 Australian dollars, which is $2,500 in the US from a house sale. Now this is a landlord who contacted his former tenants whenever he sold his property and sent them a percentage of the equity of the appreciation that this house had over the however many years he owned it. And I saw this and was dumbfounded and not for the reason my friends were, who were saying how great it was. Zach, I can't believe that people think that being a landlord means you should never make money. Yeah. What what a philanthropist, right?
0: <laughs> um, I mean, I'm all about, you know, helping people out and, providing services to people, but that's essentially what you're doing when you're a landlord. You're, you're providing a service to people and housing is one of the, you know, essential things for, for living is having shelter. So (laughs) I, I don't, I don't think that, um, you know, while this person is being very generous, um, you know, it's, it's, it's also frustrating for me to, to see this because it's like, you know, why, why is this actually happening? And is is that supposed to be the expectation for landlords? Is that we're supposed to bend over backwards? I mean, there's certain parts of this country, and I don't have any hippie friends, so <laughs> I've been a little bit more selective. I'm just kidding. But, uh, you know, there's there's some parts of the country that it's, it's becoming significantly more challenging, which is actually, I think, kind of the, the broader topic here is um, the philosophy of, you know, how landlords should operate. And, and what is their, their role and how, how they should be regulated because there's many areas of the country that think that landlords, even though you are providing a service, should be highly taxed, highly regulated, you know, and you're handcuffed. It makes it very challenging to run a business, make business decisions in certain states with certain legislation.
1: Yeah, and especially when I was, when I was seeing this, it was also, I I was talking with my wife and it was like, we, you know, we provide a service for tenants, like you were saying, but it's like, if you really want to help your tenants, you know, 20, 30 years down the road is not exactly the prime time to be, you know, looking out for your tenants. If you really want to check on your tenants and make sure you're doing right by them, you know, talk to your property manager and make sure your tenants doing all right. You know, make sure that you're keeping your house in good repair, you know, make sure that you know, you're fixing it up and doing everything that needs to be done. There's a whole lot of things you can do now and not, you know, 20, 30 years down the line when you decide to, you know, sell your primary residence, you were running out. Yeah. Just pr- provide
0: someone a, a viable place to live. And, yeah. you know, it, it's a contractual agreement. It's a business agreement as well. A lot of people don't realize that when you're signing a lease, you know, the, the tenant doesn't own you. They don't you know you you are not obli- you are obligated under the contract under law to provide certain things for them, you know and and provide a, a house that's a viable living condition for them. Keith, Keep- uh, Sorry about that. <laughs> oh yeah, no worries. We'll just cut that. But um, you know, as as a landlord, you're not you're not obligated to provide any specific um, you know, you're you're obligated to provide certain. Um, things with the lease that you, that you sign, you know, a viable place to live, a safe place for housing, heat, you know things like this. and and in return, the tenant is you know obligated to pay you rent and abide by the rules of the lease. but um, I think that uh, you know it's just interesting, especially with covid, because we can we can talk about you know the whole uh, eviction moratorium and and certain regulations for for landlords. and there was almost like this you know pitchfork, uh, movement with with uh, some people after landlords in in larger uh, metropolitan areas on on both coasts, but um, I think that uh, you're also landlords are people too, and we're all empathetic of the situation. I mean, if you just look over this past year, we had a ton of rentals that you know we we waived late fees, we may have given some sort of um, deferment for rent or just written off rent. I mean, for people and and our commercial properties, our, our retail businesses that were in our uh, retail buildings. I mean, that was, that was dramatic. And we just, we just ate those costs, but I mean, you just deal with, uh, whatever the situation is, but, um, yeah, I don't think I'd be sending checks to anyone after, cause guess what? I still have to pay taxes on that money. So yep. I don't know, maybe Australia has some sort of uh, tax code that that's a write-off as a charity. I don't, I don't know.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into a, a little bit better news for uh, landlords and happy news. And that is that uh, every business insider says that everywhere you look, America's housing crisis is getting worse. That's not the good news for uh, people looking to buy properties right now, whether it's owner occupied or investment properties, but from May to June rents rose two and a half percent and they're now 11.4% higher. Now this is nationwide on average. They're 11.4% higher than they were at the end of 2020. And by comparison, Rent growth from January to July over the last three years averaged 3.3%. So we are looking at rent increases continuing. I mean, we were seeing it before. I mean, it really got exacerbated by COVID, but we're seeing it still. And I think we're going to continue seeing it more and more as it goes through because like we discussed previously, there just aren't enough homes being built at the moment and competition is high. And it looks like it's a really good time to be sitting around uh, owning those properties. hundred
0: percent, this is this is great news. I mean we we anticipate that rents are increasing over time. I'm on average, and that's those are statistics that we looked at nationwide and also not even for an entire year. It, we're looking at basically quarters. there was a two and a half and a three and a half percent increase for for different parts of the year. I mean, that's that's dramatic. It's uh, it's also due to inflation, right? I mean, we, we can talk about that real quick because of the the government pumping so much money into the and printing so much money is only going to devalue the dollar and cause exorbitant amount of of inflation, and we're going to see this over the next few years. You don't want your money sitting in the bank during inflation, right? So the best the two, I, I think the two best um, hedges against inflation. Um, the second one is real estate because, as you know, you're you're owning a property. As inflation does you favors because that causes appreciation and rental increases, like we're seeing. Um, but the first mitigation against inflation is is debt because now that that um, debt that you borrowed that house on is is worth less over time, um, but you borrowed it today's dollars. So just a little. I don't want to get too much on my soapbox with with <laughs> inflation, but rental increases definitely in part due to that. And, and that happens over time. Um, we're seeing a lot of rent increases right now, especially if you look at a microeconomic scale in certain areas of the country where there's a population shift, there's even, even more dramatic rent increases. We've seen some rent increases simply because of demand. This isn't us doing this internally with, with our properties. It's just what we're seeing on the market. There's no housing and we've seen upwards of a 20 to 25% increase in some areas. Um, it's, yeah. it's crazy, so
1: yeah, it's really crazy. You go online, you know, go to an MLS or go to some of the big like Zillows, and you just search the zip code your property's in and you see two homes for rent. You see three homes for rent. I mean, it's for an entire zip code. It's a pretty pretty crazy time out there. I mean, it's either no nothing's for rent or they don't have to actually advertise, which is fantastic. It means you're getting zero to very little vacancy in your properties in this time. I mean, honestly, if you have if you're in a solid market in today's environment and you have a tenant turn and it's taking your property manager two months to get somebody in, you might need to start asking them questions about their vetting process and what they're doing that's keeping your tenants out because there shouldn't really be vacancies in today's world.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Reevaluate where you're at. <laughs> Uh, you know, or or what what the condition of the house is in, or whatever. Because absolutely should not see our average leasing times. We're seeing between eighteen to twenty one days. A lot of the new construction that we do in in Florida and other areas, they're actually renting out and leasing out before the house is even completed. Yep. Um, that's that's the kind of demand and people are putting multiple months of deposits down just to re- make sure that they reserve uh, the the properties. I mean. It's it's great time to be a landlord and and own property and we want to see rental increases over time. You anticipate that. That's important when you're running your calculations. A lot of people run their cash on cash ROI and their um, their income potential on a property just based in year one, and I think it's it's important. You get you should factor in rental increases over time. Historically speaking, we would see between a two to four percent rental increase per year. And, you know, that's kind of a conservative number that I think anyone can plug in regardless of market dynamics. But right now, of course, we're seeing a dramatic increase in in in-house value appreciation as as well as um, rental increases.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And what you were talking about there is so true about new construction. I mean, it was crazy to me the two that we've closed on new construction wise. I mean, I get emails from the property manager before the appraiser's even gone out and been told, you know, it's okay to go appraise the property, saying, We received a full deposit for your for your property. It's rented out at the price we wanted. And it's like, Oh, great. Okay. Well then I guess uh, <laughs> you know, cash flow day one, definitely. So That's Uh, how it's
0: supposed to work. You know, that's that's the ideal situation. So, yeah, that's great.
1: It's like looking forward to that certificate of occupancy so they can actually live inside the building. (laughs) Right, right. So I wanted to go over today kind of topics that uh, ways you can actually invest in real estate. And I wanted to go ways you can actually invest in real estate and actually own the real estate as well. We're not going to go too much into like hard money lending or any of the more esoteric ways, I guess, of investing in real estate, but I wanted to go over some of the key things that people think about when they think about owning real estate and kind of the pros and cons, some of the pros and cons of each of those. So I think the one that most people hear about that is the sexiest of them all probably would be the burr deals. Would you agree that that's probably the, the hottest way to invest in real estate right now? The sexiest trend
0: well, it depends where where you're getting information, you know. Um if if we're talking about a bigger pockets community, of course, which HGTV. we're HGTV. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're big fans of those, right? I mean, everyone wants the the idea of of flipping an ugly house into a beautiful one and making a huge profit margin. And um, you know, that's yes, that's a sexy idea of a uh, making a lot of money and and being good at what you do and showcasing this this beautiful house. Um, now while that is possible of course and and we work in that business um, I will be the first to tell you that it doesn't always work out that way right <laughs> and so it's in today's market it's extremely hard to find undervalued properties that don't have something significantly wrong that are going to put you underwater with your with your uh, rehab budget so it's hard to find them and you know there's always unforeseen issues that come up over a rehab period of time. And so for someone who's brand new coming into the space, wanting to go to that strategy, because we hear that all the time too, people when they're just getting started thinking, well, I want to do a burr, I want to do this. And, um, you know, they, they don't fully understand what a burr is. And I'm, I don't want to deter them from doing that, but I want to at least educate them on what exactly does that really entail? Because there's a lot of time, risk, and money involved in doing that. When you're doing a BRRRR model, in my opinion, you're not truly investing in real estate. Investing is something where you are strategically holding assets over time. When you're flipping houses, that's not investing; that's a job, and you know that's 100%. a full. There's a full-time uh, commitment to that. A lot of people don't realize that. You know those managing contractors and things like this. I mean, you got to go through ten or twenty bad ones to find one good one. That's expensive. That's time-consuming. <laughs> Right. And so there, there's a lot of components to this to flip a house, even if you don't sell it. If you're going to do the rehab and do the burr model where you rent it, you know, you rehab it, you rent it, and then you refi to pull equity back out of it. Um, I mean, that's still a very active investment strategy. And um, we've seen a lot of people get burned, you know, and we we have lost money on plenty of rehab deals as well. More so in the beginning when we were first learning it. But I think this is just a little bit of a reality check that yes, that is possible, and you can do that in today's market. the The best deals are probably getting scooped up by someone who's very active in the market. It does this as a full time business and has a strong presence. If there's leftover um, undervalued deals, you know, other people have passed on them. You know, probably twenty times, and that's the reason they're still sitting around. So it's competitive to come into. It takes a lot of time and risk and money because you need to have the financing to basically buy the house cash or have yep. hard money, which is very expensive. You got to be on point with your rehab timeline and budget if you're taking out hard money, because, you know, 15% and <laughs> points becomes really expensive really quick. So yeah, it does. that's just my quick reality check about the burn. Not not saying it can't be done. I personally, I feel the better way Adam to come into if you're a new investor and you're interested about flipping properties to earn income or create equity, that then you can take out and then reinvest. That'd be the whole idea of it. I mean, have a good foundation of solid rental properties that are cash flowing, just chugging along, you know, growing in equity over time. I mean, if we've, if we do a side-by-side comparison and then I'll let you give your, your two cents before I go on, cause I could go on and on about this, but if you know if you actually run the numbers on we we've done this with some investors as a case study to see if so you have a hundred thousand dollars to invest and you are looking at either doing the bur where you commit that whole hundred thousand dollars to acquiring a property and rehabbing it versus um, taking that one hundred thousand dollars and leveraging it and just buying, say, five rental properties that are already producing income and look at where you're at one year, five, ten years down the road. Um, even if you you know didn't do anything else, or if you took that money from the hundred thousand dollars and and then invested it, is actually you you would be farther ahead by buying more rentals without having this equity position simply because all the other benefits of real estate compound, right? You have your your cash flow, of course, but you have appreciation when you have five doors appreciating all at the same time, you know, that's gonna allow you to exponentially grow faster because you're owning more doors quicker even if that burr worked out like perfectly and you had 30 or 50 grand that you uh, that you made with that property you still have to go then you know if you refinance it you have one door and then reinvest it and it's a slower cycle to actually you know start building a successful portfolio you know i th- i think the, really the big benefit here is to get started more aggressive sooner with owning more doors. That's how you really create this exponential trajectory of building a large portfolio. Okay. I'm done.
1: <laughs> well, I was going to say, like I told you before, I mean, whenever I think about it, I think about, I don't, I don't know about you. I don't really want to go into a house and start swinging a hammer myself and knocking down. Well, knocking down walls would be fun, but putting it back together, not so much. So I would have to find a contractor outside in a market. I would want to be in afterwards So I have enough trouble finding tenants to come, or not tenants, contractors to come and work in my own home and do a good job. I don't really want to be doing that across country. So you'd be looking at investing probably close to home. And that's what you see so many of these articles and so many of the stories of people doing the burr is they do it in their home market. And that is, for most people listening, probably not the markets you're going to want to be investing in long term. You know, It's either going to be most of us probably either live in markets where they're not that friendly for landlords or markets where it's too expensive and your numbers aren't really going to work out that well. And so even if, say, you live in Indianapolis and you can do a flip, like you were saying, you've got to buy the property up front. You've got to spend the money to fix it, whether that's yourself or with other people. And then when you're talking about the refinance, people need to remember refinancing costs money, too. So you're losing another, you know, what two, three thousand dollars just for doing the refinance whenever that happens, and so your costs just keep adding up. And so, I mean, and in today's market, you can probably sell that house if you want to down the road, and you can pay a nice capital gains tax if you don't hold on to it long enough. Um, and so, it's just to me, it's way more work than it seems like it's worth. I know you can hear stories of people who you know, did it and pulled out $70,000 in equity and moved around. But if you're really going to get that, the big home runs are found whenever you go digging inside and you start calling, you know, you start sourcing people who are behind on their mortgages or, you know, pre foreclosures and you start calling and calling and doing more kind of, you become the wholesaler, which is a whole lot more work than I think a lot of people think you hear about the people who found the gym, that can make them so much money, but they don't mention that it took them three months of, you know, calling a hundred people a day to manage that one contract so they could buy the property. And, you know, you can, you can spend a whole lot of time to make uh, a decent chunk of money and then average it out and realize you made $10 an hour. I love that you made that point
0: um, because, you know, let's, let's just talk about that real quick. Your, your time it's, it's all about what your time is worth. Right. And so, a lot of a lot of our investors are professionals. You know, they're you know people that have great careers and they earn high income and they just want to you know they want to start investing. They don't have the time or the energy. They definitely are not interested in a burr. And some of them may. And and listen, I'm I'm not poo pooing uh, the burr. Here is a it's, you can never do it. It is a viable strategy for the right person that wants to develop an active business. Is it the right strategy for someone who only has? $50,000 or $100,000 to invest, and they're going to take a chance on, on one rehab that has to work out. Otherwise, you know they could potentially set themselves back significantly for many years. Probably not. You know, there, I, I much more prefer, because it is a high-risk scenario, especially for a brand new person who's just getting started. I think the much safer route is to become an actual experienced and educated investor, because you need to use those skills to have a successful uh, rehab project whether you're selling at retail or adding it to your own portfolio, the more experience you bring to the table, the more successful or higher probability of success you'll have. Um, And so I think actually building a a foundation of real estate, working with professionals to learn, you know, the process, especially if it's a new market, if you're looking at doing this from a distance, that's a whole different ballgame with, you know, extra components because you don't have direct oversight and, but anyways, uh, to your point, Adam, about uh, I know I can go on and on in my, my rants with <laughs> this. <but nerve. laughs> yeah, the the thing with it because I have these conversations all day long, you know, people are like I want to do this, but they don't really know what this entails, right? And so we just try to bring it back down to reality, just get into some rentals and and you can do this over time, right? You can do simultaneously. Real estate's great because you can have multiple things going on at one time. It's not burr or turnkey or commercial or single family i mean likely over time you're gonna be doing multiple things just focus on right now what is the right step but what is your time worth with with the uh your example of you know if this takes a year to do and you know you're burning and turning and you make a good profit but it's still like if you just worked your normal job at you know 50 bucks an hour or whatever it is you, you know you'd be actually be way more ahead and probably less stressed out yeah but um and people argue that's that's the experience but you know to your point the real true experience is learning how to be a professional running a business let's focus on the high level tax strategy let's focus on the acquisition um you're not going to get further ahead swinging hammers and even directly overseeing rehab crews i mean sure if you want to do this as a hobby and own you know a couple houses a year and, and do that but if you really want to take this to the business level focus on the high level stuff of property acquisition and portfolio strategy.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so that's the other thing I wanted the second way I wanted to go into it was it's kind of along the burr line, but it's flipping. And flipping, quite simply, you know, buying, rehabbing, and selling the properties. That is, as Zach mentioned, that is a straight job. I mean, that is you you wonder, a lot of people have asked me before, you know, oh, why are all of your providers selling these properties that they, you know, that they rehab? Why wouldn't if they're so great, why don't they just keep them for themselves and tell them, well, you know what? they have overhead to pay they've got to pay their loans back they've got you know they have to pay their own mortgage they have to pay their employees and they need that cash and flipping is a job you know if you if you don't do it you don't make money you know if you don't sell that property or so that is why the providers and everybody are selling these properties these good properties that they're able to provide in the markets that make sense i mean you see flippers in your big markets too although usually those are flipping for like $300,000 or so but you know even the markets that we're in the flippers they've got a business that they have to run they have to pay their expenses and while the property may generate $250 a month cash flow that's not going to cover their payroll that month you know they need to sell and get that their equity their their money back so they can afford to to operate their business
0: and i want to make something abundantly clear to anyone that's listening and is curious about all these different strategies that that we're talking about and and like our role, um, me personally, and with, with rent to retirement, we do all of these things, right? We are active professional investors that we're not just selling turnkey properties. You know, we have syndications that, that we offer. We also invest in other syndications. We do high-end flips. I do the burr model rehab stuff or new construction, which I think we should talk about because, that's a great way to create significant equity in the right market. That absolutely could be considered a burr. I like to call it the build instead of you know just buy, just build. <laughs> you know, rent, refi, repeat, um, resell, retire, go on and on. But um, you know, we're doing all these things. We have we have high end flips, and, and we're active in uh, Phoenix and in, in Portland, Oregon, where we're doing one to three million dollar. Uh, high-end rehab projects, you know, with that we're overseeing. We're we're flipping our own houses back to us. We're building our own portfolio. We're in there investing in all these areas as well. And so we have direct oversight on you know what markets we want to invest in and why. What is the analysis with that? And also some some knowledge in all these different areas of a real estate investing that we can help educate our clients about. So we're not just focused hyper focused on one area, and we're not just selling real estate. Some companies, that's all they do, right, is just sell real estate. But we very much are professional investors doing these things alongside of our investors at a high level. They're just coming on the journey with us because the reality is we do not have to own, nor does it fit our business model to own every single property that <laughs> we come across. Right. It just doesn't fit our, our business plan. But uh, you, were, you were talking about flipping and, yeah, high risk. It's something where that's, that's almost, you're, you're banking on appreciation. It's almost in the, in the build space. It's like spec building, you're, you're banking on everything going well to have an, and in profit. And while, and while that can be great and you can come out well, I would never encourage anyone to solely focus on that. Uh, You know, it's just, if you have the time and, and, you know, know how and, I guess the attention span to be able to dedicate to that project, then it can be a viable way to to make capital. But you also got to come up with, okay, what do you do with that capital once you have it? You know, are you gonna hold that property? Do you flip it? Do you buy some more rentals? You know, and you can do the same thing with new construction.
1: All right. So we're gonna stop it there for today. We're gonna to run a little bit long if we start going into new construction, because that's a whole other ball game. So I just want to let everybody know. Check us out at renttoretirement.com. That's www.renttoretirement.com you can contact us through that website. You can see the inventory. You can also check out our inventory, have it sent straight to your phone every day with a PDF. That's uh, renttoretirement.com slash hotlist, renttoretirement.com slash hotlist. And we'll see you on the next episode.
0: Thanks for listening to the Rent to Retirement podcast, your number one resource for wealth building, real estate investing and stress-free retirement strategies. Continue your real estate education and invest with us at renttoretirement.com.